You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated and take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45. First of all, I want to thank Reggie. Sheila and I, um, coming home last week, spent time listening to the message when wounds run deep, and uh, we would stop uh, periodically. We had it on, on our phone, so we were listening to it. We'd stop, we'd talk for a minute, reflecting, and then go back to listening. And I want to encourage you to listen to that message because he does an excellent job. One of the things that Reggie said that I thought was so good, you cannot take wounds, put them on a shelf, and hide them, and not address that. And that is so critical. And I'm kind of, uh, well, to be honest with you, when I began the book of Genesis, there were basically three chapters that I was looking at. Uh, I couldn't wait to get to Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham is told to take his son, his only son, the son that he loved, and to take him and sacrifice him. That incident is so critical in the book of Genesis. Then chapter 32, where we saw Jacob at the Jabbok River, and we talked about brokenness. The other chapter is chapter 45. Now last week, or a couple of weeks ago, when I asked Reggie to, to preach for me, I said, Reggie, do your best to get me to chapter 45. So Reggie had a major task last week of getting us through chapter 43, chapter 44. When I pulled it up and I saw an hour and eight minutes, I said, oh goodness, man, he had to work hard to do that. But uh, he did an excellent job. And if you were not here last week, I want to encourage you to go and listen to it. Now, the title of the message today is The Power of Forgiveness and the pain when we don't. The power of forgiveness and the pain when we don't. How many of you are at Genesis 45? Say amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 45, beginning at verse 1, then Joseph could no longer control himself. Now, his brothers, let's real quickly, background, his brothers have come back, as Reggie showed us last week, They have come back because the famine has squeezed them so much that they had to return to Egypt. So they come back reclaiming Simeon that had been left in prison, bringing Benjamin with them and standing before their brother Joseph. And they still do not know that this governor, this second in command of Pharaoh, is in fact their brother Joseph that they sold into slavery. So in Genesis chapter 45, verse 1, then Joseph could no longer control himself, his emotions, before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, wouldn't you love to have been a fly on the wall? It's been 22 years. The last time he saw them, 
they were looking down in a pit where they had thrown him, left him, and were about to sell him to Ishmaelite traders. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Look at the next question. Is my father still living? He loved his dad and his dad loved him. But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were what? In the NIV it says they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, what did he say to his brothers? Come close to me so that I can slap you upside the head. (laughs) 22 years of bitterness is about to erupt. Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am, they're probably still in disbelief. I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. Now look at verse 5. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with who? With yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives. Now look at the wording here that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land. For the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We love you. Lord, we just praise you. Lord, we thank you. Last week, as we learned, wounds do run deep. Sometimes, dear Lord, we are hurt. But Lord, we thank you that we serve the great physician and he's in the business of healing wounds. If we'll take them out of the closet off the shelf and put them at the altar and say, Jesus, could you heal this? We pray, dear Lord, that we would also learn today that when there's forgiveness, there's great joy. But when we fail to forgive, there's great pain. And we pray, dear Lord, that you would speak to us through the power of your word. Use your messenger in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I remember, you know, when you're raising four kids, you get a lot of stories through the years. And Emily was, uh, Emily was this long, spindly leg, lanky kid. And she's sick, so really be praying for Emily. She's been pretty sick. Uh, but anyway, Emily was this long, spindly-legged kid. Her hair was blonde. It was more than blonde. It was almost white. And uh, when we were in Africa, every African kid wanted to touch her hair. They wanted to touch Emily because she was a Varungu. She was a white girl. And her hair was just almost white. I remember one time Emily getting on to Emily. And when I got on to her, boy, immediately that lip came out she began to kind of shake a little. You know, dads, you have to beat the boys. All you got to do is look at the girls. I could beat Ledge and Jeffrey in an inch of their life. And two minutes later, they were up bouncing around, going again. But I could just look at Emily and Amy. And so I, I got on to Emily pretty heavy. And boy, that lip came out. She disappeared. And man, you know, you know parents, sometimes when you go overboard and you get a little too angry and you so it you know it weighed on me so finally I I kind of crept into that room sheepishly and I I looked at her and I said Emily I was standing in the door of that bedroom I said Emily daddy's sorry I said I'm sorry 
She turned around him old long spindly legs. She ran across that room, jumped up and wrapped her arms around me and said these words, said, Daddy, I forgive you. I forgive you, Daddy. You know, the power of forgiveness is one of the great benefits of salvation, isn't it? I think it's the greatest benefit of all. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. Now, this chapter, let me say this. Chapter 45 is so important to your pastor that I have spent a long time, weeks, months, in this sanctuary praying about this chapter and preaching it. I said to Doug and Sandy a few weeks ago over a meal, I said, if I'm not ready to preach this, I will not preach it. And you may say, well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, I did not want any animosity, any unforgiveness, any bitterness, any anger sticking to me. I wanted my heart to be right. Now, let me give you some principles here, two of them right out of the gate. Number one, you and I cannot hold on to unforgiveness when we pray. You can't do it. You remember the Bible says, it says if you come to the altar and you're getting ready to kneel there at the altar and you remember there's a difference between you and your brother, it said just stop and go and as best you can be at peace with all men. Reconcile. But number one, you can't hold on to unforgiveness when you pray. You may pray through gritted teeth over someone who has hurt you, but you must pray. Well, that's critical. Principle number two. Some of you in this room must let go of that pit cross, that Greek word for bitter, that sticky anger that is affecting you and everyone around you. You remember that word unforgiveness, that picture of pit cross in the Greek, that anger that sticks to you. You were hurt, it stuck to you if you've never been able to move beyond it. That's a sad place to be. Now, I almost wanted to say, let me take out a half sheet of paper. Let me ask you some questions this morning. I want you to, I want you to reflect on these. This is not going to be a traditional exegetical sermon verse by verse. First of all, I want to ask you a few questions. Number one, is there someone that you cannot forgive? Is there someone you cannot forgive? Now, I want you to take a moment. Before God, is there somebody in your life that you cannot forgive? Number two, are those emotions that are tied to that unforgiveness affecting your life? Everyone look this way. They are. You may not know it, but they are. That's number two. Number three, are those emotions affecting the people to whom you love? In other words, your marriage, your children, your job, your church, and other relationships that you're involved in. Everybody look this way. It is. Number four, are those emotions affecting your health? Everybody look this way. Yes. The Romans, when they would have a man that was convicted or a woman convicted of murder, do you know what they would do? They would take the victim of that murder, they would strap that body to the murderer. In other words, the one who had been murdered, the deceased body was strapped and tied to the body of the one who had committed the crime. And then decay, decomposition of that body began to infiltrate that healthy body 
and in time destroy them. Can you think of a worse death? Let me tell you, folks, when you and I refuse to forgive, what we do, we tie that person that we refuse to forgive, we tie them to us and we won't let go. We're chained to it. James Montgomery Boyce said this about this chapter, chapter 45. He said, this is the climax of the story of Joseph. There are few more dramatic moments than this in all of history. But the verses are climatic in another way also. As we've seen on other occasions, Joseph is an outstanding type of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that. Consequently, his revelation of himself to his brothers amply illustrates that great great personal climax of a human life when Jesus reveals himself savingly to that person. And I want you, he said, to see both of these as we turn to this story. Reggie reminded you over and over again that this story is a story of grace. It's a picture of Jesus. John Phillips said this. He said, Genesis 45 anticipates the day when the Lord will reveal himself fully and finally to the nation of Israel. At the close of the great tribulation, at the same time he speaks of the way the Lord Jesus reveals himself to those today whose hearts have been prepared to own him as Lord and Savior of their life. Stuart Briscoe said this. He said, the moment had arrived for which he had waited so long, for which he had worked so hard. He needed to reveal himself to his brothers so that they could all live fuller lives. Now let me elaborate on that last statement. He needed to reveal himself to his brothers so that they could all move on with their lives. Does that make sense? I wrote this statement down. Some people need your forgiveness so they can live their life again. Your bitterness, that anger that is sticking to you, that unforgiveness that you can't let go of is also keeping another person to whom you hold that anger and unforgiveness for it keeps them from healing as well. You have to let go. Look this way. Nobody tied the victim to you. You did it yourself. And let me say one more thing. You may have an unforgiving spirit toward God. Because God took somebody, something dear to you. You feel like, and it wasn't fair. So here we have Joseph, I mean um, Joseph. Now listen to this statement again. Some people need your forgiveness so they can live life again. Your bitterness, your unforgiveness, my forgiveness, my bitterness or unforgiveness is crucial to their healing. You and I must forgive and let go. You remember Peter, how did Peter handle the whole trial of Jesus? You remember Little maid girl, she looked at him and said, aren't you one of the Galileans? Aren't you a friend of this Jesus? He said, no, I'm not. You remember that? She said a little while later, somebody else came up and said, aren't you a friend of this Jesus? He said, no, I'm not. Third time, somebody came up and said, Jesus is on trial. 
He's being beaten, being mistreated. Everything is, is going south in, in the life of Christ. Here Peter, one of the inner three, is asked the third time, do you, are you not a friend, a companion of Jesus? This time he goes into the old fisherman, I blankety blank do not know him. You remember when Jesus was resurrected? He said, go tell my disciples and who? Peter. Immediately, he wanted to be, to bring healing to Peter's life because you see, when Judas betrayed Jesus, he went out and did what? He hung himself. When, when Peter betrayed Jesus and betrayed that friendship, the Bible said that he went out and he wept bitterly. And he went back into his old life of fishing. And Jesus said, listen, you go tell Peter and the other disciples. But he identifies Peter. And in John 21, do you remember that scene? In John 21, after the resurrection, Jesus is on the shore. Do you remember that scene? The disciples are out there fishing. Jesus is on the shore. We'll pretend this is the shore. And he looks out across there and he says, throw your nets to the other side. These seasoned fishermen, though, we, we've been doing this a long time. They can't get the net in. Immediately, Peter, this is Peter. If you thought of this like a boat, this is Peter. He looks and he says to John, they, they look at each other and they say, that's, that, that's Jesus. It's Jesus. And old Peter, he's not walking on water. He's splashing through it. And he's making his way to the shore because Jesus is being reconciled to Peter. Is there somebody you need to be reconciled to? And when he gets to shore, Jesus is cooking. Isn't that great? Now, Jesus is a master chef. He's over there cooking, fixing, fixing lunch. And then he says, Peter, have a seat. I want to talk to you. Peter, take out a half sheet of paper. As Reggie knows from language, when you're in Greek or Hebrew, take out a half sheet of paper. I've got a test for you. Uh, okay, Lord. Uh, Peter, do you love me? Now, he used the word agape. Sacrificial, unconditional, you know, sold out, surrender to Christ. Peter goes, Lord, I phileo love you. I love you like a friend. Jesus says, um, question number two, Peter, do you love me? Agape, do you love me? Un unconditional, absolute surrender, sold out, abandoned, you'd die for me. Peter puts his head down again. He, he says, Lord, you, you know I love you. Phileo love brotherly, friendship, love. The third time, because each time Jesus would answer, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Third time, Peter, and this is it. Do you phileo friendship love me? Okay, Peter, I'll come down to your level of love. Do you even love me that much? And Peter, at that point, I believe he began to weep. The fisherman's body began to shake. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Is there somebody that you cannot forgive? Let me make some observations. Number one, everybody in this room, and this is 35 years of counseling. I do a lot of counseling. A lot of counseling you don't know about. 
A lot of counseling outside the membership of this church. So let me make some observations at about 60 years of age, earned doctorate, and a lot of time in counseling. Number one, everyone in this room has been hurt. Would you agree? Everybody's been hurt. We've all been hurt. Nobody here can say, I've never been hurt. (laughs) Nor can anybody say, I've been hurt worse than everybody else. Everybody in this room has been hurt. Some deeper than others. You see, Reggie made this statement that when he was talking about wounds, we've all been wounded. Some wounds are deeper than others, right? Some people have been hurt worse than maybe you've been hurt. So, it may be in your childhood. It may be by your parents. Let me, let me give you a statement. I want you to think about this and listen closely. Because some in this room have been hurt by your parents. You will either learn from your par- parents' mistakes or you will mirror them. You know what some people, I see some people even within the body of believers, they'll say, man, they've got, they've got a beef with their dad, with their mom. I mean, they've got a problem with their parent. And you want to smile and look at them after you've met their parent. And you want to say, wow, you look a lot like them. Now, that won't win friends and influence people. You may lose a church member. But that's part of it. Some of you in this room, you've been hurt by an authority figure by somebody you trusted. Some of you have been hurt in a relationship, in a marriage, in a past marriage, past relationship. Some of you in this room have been hurt by society. Social ills have affected you. And let me say this, the government and nothing the government offers, nor medical, nor medicine, nor anything else, Prozac, Paxil, Zoloft, Lexapro, psychiatrists, psychologists, behavioral therapy, and every gizmo and gadget coming out of Washington, nothing can fix those wounds but Jesus Christ. He's a great physician. He's a master. He's a master at it. Number two, we've all been hurt. Number two, we have to let go. You say, well, let go of what? The anger that is stuck to you. You see, we said this, that a lot of times when you and I feel that we have been hurt, we've been wounded, as Reggie talked about last week, then the reality is is that if we're not careful We refuse to forgive that individual. We hang on to it. We won't let go of it. But let me give you a clue. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you how you let go of unforgiveness. You pray for the one you hold animosity toward. What did Jesus do from the cross? What did Jesus do from the cross? What did he pray? One of his prayers was this. He said, Father, forgive them what? For they don't know what they're doing. Now, number three, you and I sooner or later have to see the person that has hurt us as a tool in the hand of God by which he is conforming us into the image of his son. No matter what that hurt is, no matter what that wound is, no matter what that person has done to you, it first went through the hand of God. It can be a tool in the hand of God by which God's chipping and conforming and turning you and I into the body of Christ, into Christ himself. So see that tool as a, hand in, uh, as a tool in the hand of God. Conform, see that life. See that person as a tool in the hand of God by which he's conforming you into his son. You see it. What does Joseph say to his brothers? Look at verse 4. What does he say there? He says there, 
Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Now I'm going to tell you something, folks. And I did this in the introduction to to the book of Ephesians. Both the Calvinist and the Arminian must recognize something here. Joseph says, first of all, by your free will, by a decision you've made, you sold me into slavery. But, verse 5, but do not be distressed, do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that what? What's the next statement? God sent me here. Sovereign hand of God, the rebellious free will, sinful tainted will of man, and both of them are meshed together and we see God's sovereign plan working out. There's another group in this room and you thought you would get away. And you're the saddest group of all and I I can understand you because I've been there and still sometimes I'm there. A lot of times we find it much easier to forgive other people than to do what? To forgive ourselves. Can't forgive yourself. You say, Brother Jeff, it's not the rotting body of somebody that I'm holding animosity for. I, 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 I can forgive other people. I just cannot forgive myself. You remember in Mark chapter 2. In Mark chapter 2, let me tell you this story real quickly. Jesus had a, he had a, he had a maxed out crowd. You couldn't get nobody else in this house. And people were coming for healing. He was teaching. And, and, and these four men came, and, and, and they couldn't get in. They, there was no way to get in. So finally, they went on top of the roof, and what did they do? They disassembled the roof. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd probably stop if somebody came through the roof. They disassembled the roof, and they lowered this man, this paralytic, down in front of Jesus. The Bible says Jesus was just amazed at these guys. He thought, boy, the audacity of this, man, they have disassembled the, the roof. I think Jesus said later on, said, man, that was one of the best meetings we ever had. Man, the place was just coming apart. Amen. Now, in, in chap, Mark chapter 2, verse 5, this is, what got Jeff, uh, this is what got Jesus into trouble. What got Jesus into trouble is this. When he made this statement, he looked at the paralytic before he healed them, and he said, your sins have been forgiven. Let me explain that because a lot of times we don't understand that. Imagine, imagine Cameron comes in and he says to Dwayne, our bass player, he says, Dwayne, he said, man, I was getting out of my car. I was parked next to your vehicle. I was getting out of my car. The wind called it and wham, it hit the side of your vehicle and left a big dent in it. And he's, he's saying, man, Dwayne, I want to ask you to forgive me uh, I, I'm so sorry, what do I need to do? And about that time I walk in and I say, uh, it's all right, Cameron, I forgive you, go on. Your response, wait a minute. Brother Jeff, wait a minute. It's not your car, it's Dwayne's car. What do you mean you're forgiving me? You might say, what do you mean forgiving Cameron? Well, you see, that's what the that's what the religious leaders thought when Jesus would say, I forgive you. You know what they thought? Wait a minute. Who are you to forgive? The sin is not against you. It's against God. And Jesus said, you're right. Dwayne looks at 
Cameron and Cameron says, you know, I don't understand, Brother Jeff. Just comes through and tells me he forgives me. That kind of grates on my nerves. And Dwayne smiles and says, well, to be honest with you, you don't know it, but Brother Jeff owns it, has a title on my car. <laughs> it's really his car. It's just on loan to me. Does that make sense? See, that's forgiveness. And so, so here we are commanded to forgive. We cannot do it without the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. And what Joseph is able to do, he is able to move beyond his anger, his bitterness, and his unforgiveness and give to his brothers what he can only give by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is forgiveness. And again, let me say it, you cannot forgive anybody without praying for them. You say, I've got animosity, I've got bitterness, I've got anger toward this person. I just simply can't let go of it. You don't know what they've done to me. Listen, look this way. It doesn't matter what they've done. You are commanded to forgive. And you cannot do it without praying for the one you hold unforgiveness toward. Can't do it. Because what do you need to forgive? The power of the Holy Spirit. So, basically, in verses 1 through 4, we have a relationship that's being restored. It's been 22 years of guilt. They sold their brother Joseph to the Ishmaelite slave traders. They covered up their sin. They betrayed their aged father. They were the agony of their father. And the father even made this statement. He said, you're taking my gray head down to the earth. There are many a grown kid that is living in rebellion against God. And the reality is, the truth of the matter is, they're destroying their parents in the process. That's what, Joseph, that's what Jacob was saying when he made that statement. Let me tell you, when those boys came back and Jacob looked at him and he said, let me tell you what he said. He said, why did you tell Pharaoh that you had a younger brother. Why did you volunteer that information? The reality is, is that a relationship is being restored. And if you look at verses 1 through 4, the emotions are explosive. It's like a floodgate of pent-up pain, pent pain and hurt and tears. 20, 22 years, it's like it erupts like a volcano out of the heart of Joseph. And, he, and he's letting go. He's letting go. And they are getting ready to be relieved of something they have carried for 22 years, guilt. You're forgiven. God was in this. You just didn't know it. Does that make sense? I was reading Psalm 126. I love it because the disciples, I meant the people of Israel, they're talking about when they're released from Babylon and they're coming back. And it's almost like they're just giddy. They're all excited like a kid at Christmas. You remember when you got up Christmas morning, you looked and you'd see the glimmer of a chrome and you realize there was a new bike. 
And they were almost giddy. Have you noticed how many times God will take us to the very end of our faith? How he takes us all the way to the end. I thought here about Zimbabwe. When we were in Zimbabwe, we bought a car. We couldn't afford a car. We were making $14,000 a year. We were getting no cost of living adjustment. But we bought a car because we were told that we could probably make some money on the car after we had owned it for a year. And in and, and, and the next year, it was coming close to Christmas. We, had, we were living in Zimbabwe. We had nothing for the kids for Christmas. We were counting on this trip to South Africa, but we couldn't go to South Africa. On top of that, Ledge had, had eye problems, so Ledge was going to have to have eye surgery, and we couldn't afford that. We, our backs were up against the wall. And I'll never forget, we thought we sold the, the car. The car fell through. And so Sheila and I were looking at ourselves, and we were saying, how are we going to take Ledge to South Africa for this surgery? How are we going to be able to make ends meet? We don't have nothing. We've got to sell this car. Now look this way. I bought that car for $10,000. Brand new Toyota Corolla. We all family six packed in there when we left Johannesburg driving, pulling a trailer to Zimbabwe, Harare, Zimbabwe. We kept the car for a year. We hadn't sold it. We were down to the wire. We had to get that boy to surgery down in Johannesburg, South Africa. We had no money. We had no way to get there. Everything was wrong. And at the last minute, does God ever come in at the last minute? Don't you just hate it? (laughs) At the last minute, a woman bought the car for $22,000 more than I paid for it. Guess what became the down payment to our home? That money. Sometimes things are not working out the way you and I think. Sometimes there's relationship problems. Sometimes we're beat up and bruised up. And sometimes God takes us to the very end of ourselves, even emotionally, and then all of a sudden He steps in. And this was Joseph. You know, I, um, I wanted to say something about race relations. Because I think right now in our nation, we are so broken apart. And I thought to myself that sometimes I think race relations has not turned out very well because America has really not ever repented. You see, sometimes you and I can't find forgiveness until the person that we've offended truly sees a level of repentance in us. Right? And that's true. So sometimes I, th- I think that is what's happened in America. I even, I even try to, I, I don't know, I want to be careful here, but I said this would be topical more than exegetical. When we were living in England... We were, uh, I was invited to speak at the largest, uh, probably one of the largest air bases in Western Europe. I was a former U.S. Army chaplain. The chaplain that was there was a friend of mine. It was Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and the British commander of that base with British and American troops had decided to celebrate Martin Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And so I'll never forget I get there. And I, and I sit down, and um, 
they were playing the speeches of Martin Luther King Jr. when he was in Birmingham prison, when he was in jail in Birmingham. You could cut the air with a knife. I mean, it was so tense. You could just, you could feel it. It was like, it was like African-American soldiers. Domingo's been in the military. It was like African-American soldiers were just polarized, congregated over here. It was like these white uh, U.S. soldiers and British soldiers were congregated over here. And you could just cut the air with a knife. And then, and then the, the chaplain of that base stood up and said, we're honored today to have here Dr. Jeff Parker. He's a former, he's a former missionary to Zimbabwe, Africa. And I'm cringing. Colonialism. Dwayne, you know what I'm talking about. I'm thinking colonialism. So, you know, first blow. Uh, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's from Mississippi. <clears throat> that really got me. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm sitting there saying, man, what in God's name am I going to say? There's so much tension, so much anger, so much hurt, so much unforgiveness. What am I going to do? And all of a sudden, I'll never forget this, a peace came over me. When we had come home from Zimbabwe, the kids went to school for the first day. Jeffrey came home and he said, Dad, he was all excited. He said, Dad, there was a fight. Now, you didn't fight in some of the schools over in Zimbabwe. They didn't stand for it. You get caned. He said, Dad, there was a fight. Uh, Forgive me, African-American, for what I'm about to say. I said, were they black or white? Jeffrey was nine years old. He sat there looking at me, kind of, kind of twisted and turned and looked at me. And I said, son, were the students black or white? He, he kept looking at me. I might as well have been talking Shona, the language of the African people. He kept looking at me. Finally, Sheila looked at me and said, he doesn't understand. I said, doesn't understand what? He doesn't see color. At nine years of age, he had spent the last three and a half, four years like Ledge and all the rest of them, living, breathing, playing with Africans. He thought he was the same color as they. He thought we were all one color. And I looked at him and I said, son, what did this look like? He still didn't understand. I dropped it. MLK Jr., the largest, probably the largest base in Western Europe, about to speak missionary from Africa, uh, from Mississippi. I mean, man, I thought to myself, God, what could I say? I walked up to the pulpit in front of this massive base, all of these men and women, and I wept, I wept, and I finally looked at them and I said, Dine Rombo Chaizo, as we say in the language of the Shona people, Dine Rombo Chaizo, that means that I'm very, very sorry Forgive me. Forgive my ancestors. Forgive whatever part they may have played in this. And I wept bitter tears in front of this base. As I told them the story of Jeffrey, nine years old, and I said this, I said, he didn't know color. I said, I had to teach it to him. And God forgive me. And I wept. And they stood. And men and women were weeping and crying. The British commander of that base came up with tears in her eyes and she wept and she wrapped her arms around me and she said, Sir, you are welcome at this base anytime you want. 
We went up, Ledge knows this, up into the flight tower. Doug, and, Doug was there with us. Jeffrey, we saw those, those planes taking off, landing. We were up in the flight tower. We had full access. But I want you to know something. It's because somebody said, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Let me tell you why race relations is in the shape that it's in today. Because we've only succumbed under the Civil War, which we lost more people than in any other war of history. Civil rights, which was brutal and ugly. But it's never come from just simply a nation repentant, broken, and saying, this is a dark chapter in our past. Oh God, forgive us. And we repent. You see, that's forgiveness. John Phillips said this about Joseph's encounter. He said it was sudden revelation. He looked at his brothers and he said, I'm Joseph. Just that simple. He said it was sobering. It was packed with emotion. It was filled with emotion. People who encounter Christ will be emotional. He said, I'm Joseph, I'm your brother. It was sudden. I mean, it was like cold water on these brothers. All of a sudden, they looked at each other. Terror filled their faces. They looked into the eyes of this man and they said, Oh God, it is Joseph. It's, it's Joseph. Reuben looked at Simeon. Simeon looked at Judah. Judah looked over at, at, at Issachar. Issachar looked at Dan and they all looked at Nephtali and they said, It's Joseph. Two years of guilt carrying this weight and he's looking at us and he holds our life in his hands. It was sudden. It was sobering because it was filled with emotion. All of a sudden Joseph began to weep bitter tears of 22 years of hurt and pain. Listen to me closely. There's some in this room there are some in this room. The truth of the matter is that only through prayer and forgiveness can you find healing. And let me tell you this. When it happens, it usually is an emotional volcano erupting because you have no idea what you've been packing away on the inside. Sudden, sober. That's what happens when people get saved. Preached in a little community back up in the Delta. Afterwards, sitting at a dining table. When all of a sudden, just that loud. Banging on the door. Went to the door, there was a big old farmer, a big man. And all of a sudden, tears streaming down his face. He looked at me weeping. And he said, Brother Jeff, he said during the invitation, God told me to come down. I'm not a believer. I want to give my life to Christ. And there on that porch in that small Delta community, he received Christ. I have a friend of mine, Johnny Gooch from Yazoo City. Johnny is a lumberman. I remember uh, Johnny was a partier. He did everything. I mean, he did it all. He was, uh, he was a mover and shaker in Yazoo City. And I remember one day I walked up to a place called Red Barn. Sits on the highway there. It's right in the middle of Yazoo City. 
I was a young man, college age. I walked up and all of a sudden I saw this, I saw back over in the field, Red Barn was where all the teenagers went. We rode up and down Main Street. Red Barn's where you bought your beer, where you got your cigarettes. And I looked over off to the side and I saw this young man standing up and he had made himself a wood platform and he was preaching the gospel out of this old cheap, two-bit, nothing sound system. And I'll never forget, I walked up to Red Barn. I was probably up to no good. And I looked and I said, and I looked again because he was a friend of my brother-in-law, Glenn. He was a friend of my sister, Marcia. I looked again and I said, is that? And they said, yes, that's Johnny Gooch. I said, what's he doing? Well, he's then got Jesus. And he's preaching. Let me tell you about Johnny. He's still preaching. Doug, Doug and Sandy are not here today. Let me tell you where they are. They're in Costa Rica going from school to school to school. Thousands of students will hear the gospel because of Doug Payne. You know what Sandy will say to me sometimes? Sandy will look at me because I've known Sandy since she was a teenager. Sheila's known her all her life. Sandy will say, oh, Jeff, you knew me at a time when I was not a Christian. I'm so sorry. Has your conversion... Your commitment to Christ resulted in anybody noticing anything different about you. Joseph's revelation was sudden. It was sobering. When you really come to Jesus, it is an emotional, emotional traumatic experience. Jeffrey and I were in First Baptist Church Anguilla. He was doing, leading the worship. I was preaching. It was packed. You couldn't get. Cheers were up. Cheers were up on the platform. I had nowhere to move. I looked at the congregation before I started and I said, if you don't know how to be saved, at any point you can stop me in the message and you can ask that question. I hadn't got 10 minutes into the sermon. A senior in high school, a young man stood up. I think he was from Rolling Fork. He stood up and he began to, he began to voice began to shake. He said, I'm not a Christian and I want to know how to be saved. I walked down, quit preaching, walked down, led that young man to Christ. At the end of that sermon, we had run the baptistry and a senior adult stood up and she gave her life. She was the sister to the man leading, the, the music man who normally led. She said, I want to give my life to Christ. Listen to this senior adult. We looked at her and she said, I want to be baptized. We said, well, tomorrow night you come, we'll have baptism. She said, no, there's water run. I want to be baptized right now. She was a mover and a shaker in that community. Everybody knew that woman. She had been going to church for years. And I want you to know something with her clothes, fully on. She just walked back there. She walked right down. It was one of those uh, one that's under the floor. She walked down into that baptistry and we baptized her right. They were trying to find clothes for me so I could baptize her. When you really truly get saved, it can be sudden. It can be sobering and it can be simple. Just simple words. I am Joseph. You remember the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus? When all of a sudden the Bible says he's a madman persecuting the church. When all of a sudden a bright light shines, he collapses. 
And Jesus says these words. Listen. On the website, listen. I know you're listening. He said these words. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard to kick against a goad. You never look more like the enemy than when you persecute the church. Saul's words, Lord, Adonai, Lord, Kurias, Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord settled it all. Collapsed in a heap. He said, Lord, your Lord, your master, what do you want me to do? Have you done that? Let me tell you, sometimes I think we'll never find forgiveness till we forgive ourselves. We can never find the tools to forgive other people, most of all, until we have come into a personal intimate relationship with Jesus Christ because Paul said in Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me there is there's a movie and I'll close with this I promise there's a movie called The Mission Robert De Niro Um, I don't suggest you watch it because it has some natives and a little bit of uh, some things that you may not need to see but we were at the Missionary Learning Center, and at MLC, they, they, they tell you, you've got to watch this movie. And the movie is about Robert De Niro, who plays the part of a slave trader. He's a man that's become very wealthy on slave trade of the South Americans, those men and women who live in the hearts of, of this particular area around the Amazon River. And, and so... Robert De Niro is in an argument with his brother and in a fit of rage, he pulls his sword and he kills his brother. It's a Cain and Abel. He kills his brother. Robert De Niro, who plays this part, literally just collapses. He can't believe he got so angry as to kill his brother. His life is destroyed. He just, everybody, the whole community, the town, everyone. And there's this Jesuit priest who finally comes to this... He, he literally, Robert De Niro is dying in a prison cell. He won't eat, he won't live, he won't do anything. So finally, a Jesuit priest comes and says these words. Now listen closely. He says, why don't you go with me? He says, and invest your life in the service to others. And so Robert De Niro agrees to it. Robert De Niro comes to meet the group of Jesuit priests that are going into the interior. When he comes, he's dragging this massive mesh bag. And in it is swords, weapons, his shield, his uniform, his, his, the shackles that he used to, for slavery. It's all this stuff. And he's dragging this stuff heading to the expedition. And he's, in fact, he's got it tied to him. It's all of the stuff from his former life as a slave trader and what led to the murder of his brother. And he's got it tied to him. It's, 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 it's fixed in such a way that he's dragging it. 
And so here's these Jesuit priests that are going up into the Amazon to take the gospel to people who've never heard before. And they're having to go slow because Robert De Niro is dragging this baggage behind him. Stay with me. And finally he's climbing... They, 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 I mean, this, this, this country, the interior of this country is so difficult to navigate. They're climbing just rock cliffs and you, and you see Robert De Niro as he's pulling himself and you see all the other Jesuit priests. They finally get to the top of one mountain, one cliff, and they look back and here's Robert De Niro. Here's that, here's that character that he plays with all of that stuff hanging on him and he's trying to climb the mountain. And finally, one of the younger Jesuit priests, he, he gets angry and he, and, he, and he pulls his sword and he goes over and he cuts the rope loose. And he says, enough of this. And that bag, that mesh packed with all of that sword and all of that stuff, it jingles and falls down the mountain. Do you want to guess what Robert De Niro does? He goes all the way back down the mountain. And the old Jesuit priest looks at the young one that cut it loose. And he said, that was not your right. And they waited till he went down. He goes back down. down. He climbs down in a muddy river. And he scans around until he feels his hands. And he picks it up as if he has a prize. And he ties it back around him. And up the mountain he goes again. And they're waiting and waiting and waiting. They finally get to the village of people. The people, the very people that he had gone and raided many times and stolen and robbed and carried off their young, their women, their men and had sold them into slavery. And when he comes into this village, the tribal chief, as he looks at the Jesuit priest, you see just his countenance. He just, he just embraces the chief. He embraces the Jesuit priest but then he looks at Robert De Niro and he recognizes this is the slave trader. And he pulls his sword. And all of a sudden the warriors of that village gather around him. And they're ready to take his life. And they have a sword within an inch of his throat. Ready to cut his throat. Robert De Niro just simply bows. Exposes his neck. He collapses. He's filthy. He's dirty. He's a waste of a skeletal remains of the man that he once was. And all of a sudden, the, the nationals, the warriors pull back. And this chief pulls back. And he realizes what his crime has cost him. And he sees this pack hanging on Robert De Niro's back as he's hanging to the side of a rock as he had come up a cliff. And all of a sudden, the tribal chief looks at him and he laughs. He laughs. <laughs> all of a sudden, he looks and he sees what it has cost him. And he starts laughing. And then he takes his sword. You want to guess what he does? He cuts the sack, that massive baggage that he'd been carrying. He cut it loose and it tumbled down all the way down the cliff and the, literally the villagers were shouting and Robert De Niro began to cry and they embraced. Oh, my friend, listen to me. 
That is the power of forgiveness. I want you to stand. With heads bowed and with eyes closed and nobody looking around. Maybe it's time for a Joseph moment. Maybe there's somebody, maybe there's a pain or a hurt or a scar or a wound, as Reggie said last week, that has run so deep in your life. It has resulted in a person who's bitter, who finds it difficult to love, who finds it difficult to trust and to believe that anybody's trustworthy anymore. But God has brought some face, some name, somebody. They may be dead and gone. God has brought maybe somebody to your mind that you need to let go. And you need to begin to pray for that person. You you need to begin to pray in such a way that God begins to release you from what is tied to you. Only Jesus Christ can forgive sin. Did you hear that? Only Jesus Christ can say your sins are forgiven. Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some of you need to quit judging harshly your parents and you need to forgive them. Some of you young parents need to be more understanding and kinder to the older parents because you're not there yet. Young parent, let me remind you, you are not there yet. And there may come a day 10 years from now when your pastor's retired. There may come a day when you say, oh, Brother Jeff, I had no idea. You need to forgive. You need to let go. You need to crawl up into the lap of Jesus Christ and let Him set you free and cut loose what is hanging on that you can't seem to cut loose yourself. Our Heavenly Father, we come to You. And we pray, dear Lord, that if there's one here that does not know You, we pray, dear Lord, today that they would hear those words through the power of Your Holy Spirit, I am Jesus. This is Jesus. This is His Holy Spirit. He's talking to your heart right now. He's saying, let go. Let go of your sin. Let go of your past. Let go of your bitterness. Let go of your anger. Let go of your hurt. Let go of your sin-filled life. All of the habits that hold you as a victim, that hold you in bondage. Let go. Let me come into your life and live the Christian life in you. Lord, if there's one here that does not know you and your Holy Spirit is speaking to them now, May they do what Paul did, collapse, just simply say, Lord Jesus, what will thou have me to do? May they take that first step, simply praying and asking you, Jesus, to come into their heart as they repent of their sin. Lord, come into my heart and forgive me. Right now, Lord, forgive me. Be my Lord. Be the master of my life. Lord, I give my life to you freely and totally surrendered. For others in this room, they may be a Christian, but they're held in bitterness and unforgiveness, anger that is stuck to them. May they be set free today.
May they spend a moment at this altar. May they come and seek counsel, but may they let go of what is tied to them. There are others in this room that need to forgive themselves. They've done things that they're ashamed of. The enemy is the accuser of the brethren. He's a father of lies. He loves self-condemnation. Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. To the adulterous woman. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We pray, dear Lord, that you would get a hold of our hearts. Whatever decision we need to make, may we make it in this invitation. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.